Well, greetings again, everybody, and one more time, happy Father's Day to all you dads out there and to everybody who is celebrating a father in their life. Uh, So let me ask you a question today, and that question is, what comes to mind for you when you think of Father's Day, or even when you think of your dad? I know there are a lot of different thoughts that come to my mind. I think of being out at our lake place for so many years with my dad, the different kinds of jobs that he liked to do out there, the different things that he had us do when we were out there, and many of the times that we were hoping we were going up to the lake place to spend a relaxing weekend, and my dad's idea of relaxing was to do lots of things and have us do them with him. Uh, So there's all kinds of different images that come to mind. Maybe you think of a particular gift that you gave to your dad. You know, maybe it was a tie or another tie or a few ties. Ties, maybe those were some of the things that you offered your dad, ties and offerings. Ties and (laughs) offerings. Or a bad dad joke like that one right there. That might be something that you think of when you think of your dad. I'm not sure for you, but I know that one thing that definitely comes to mind for me is food. I think about food. I think about cooking because I like to cook. Now, I like to cook in a lot of different ways, but probably the way that I like to cook the most is meat with fire and smoke. That's what I like to do. I like to grill, I like to smoke, I like to do all those different kinds of things. That's my specialty, that's what my family relies on me to be the one to do. Um, Now, it's not that my wife can't cook on the grill. She's an excellent cook. She can use that. But it's just one of those places where I can actually feel useful when it comes to doing things like cooking. So I can go out there to the grill. I love being out there at the grill. And one thing about doing this and being about food with fire and smoke is that I get to train my sons to do the same thing. Now, it's not that my daughter doesn't cook. My daughter actually is a really good baker. She likes to make cookies, and she makes fantastic cookies, just like her mother. But my boys have become more and more interested in trying to figure out the mysteries of what it is to cook meat with fire and smoke. So they want to come out and see what kinds of recipes I'm using. They want to find out whether I'm going to be cooking brisket or if I'm going to be smoking a rack of ribs. And and now they're to that point in life where they're like, Dad, can you you show us? Can you tell us some of the things? Because you see, I have some recipes. I have some recipes that I've put together for rib rub and uh, for my own special barbecue sauce or for a particular marinade that I'll use for chicken or, uh, or even other kinds of things. So there's other things that I have taught my boys how to make. A few years ago, uh, I was on a kick where I had some time, actually, and, uh, and spent some time learning to cook a little bit more. And one of the things that I like to make was homemade spaghetti sauce. And uh, I started making spaghetti sauce very regularly, and my boys love pasta with sauce. So it didn't take very long before they started wanting to make sauce themselves. And now they make pasta sauce all the time. I don't think I've made pasta sauce in years now because both of my boys love to make their own pasta sauce, and they all make it a little bit differently than I did. That's the thing about a recipe, you know, is you, you learn one thing, and then you start to make it your own. You start to shift it a little bit and make it something that becomes your own. And now both of my boys make a marinara sauce. Uh, one of my boys likes to make his own Alfredo sauce. It's just part of the deal. They like to experiment with different kinds of recipes because there's always new recipes to try and new recipes to learn. Well, we are learning some new recipes and some new habits related to life off the map. That's what we've been experiencing during the course of our sermon series during this time. Learning new ways to live in this unknown land, in this landscape that's changed so quickly 
and so decisively for many of us in so many ways. We were just commenting this morning, I, I have to give credit to Pastor Angie for saying it, but as we were preparing for our service today, looking around the room and saying, boy, remember when we used to have people here? It's such a strange experience for us, and in some ways we're sort of getting used to it, but we'll never really get totally used to not being together like this on Sunday. So we have to learn some new recipes. We learn some new ways of being able to do church and be the church. But that's not the only things that have changed because of COVID and other circumstances. The church has been changing for a long time because the culture has been changing. And unfortunately, the culture has been changing a lot faster than the church has. Now, there are things about the church that we never want to change. We've talked about that before. Jesus himself never changes, but he is always changing us. He's always transforming us and calling us into new things. And when we get called into those new things, we need to learn new ways of being followers of Jesus. We need to learn some new habits, some new methods, some new recipes for life. And that's what we've been studying. And we're using a little guidebook over the course of this sermon series called Surprise the World. And it's called Five Habits of Highly Missional People by Michael Frost. If you haven't picked it up yet, we have some copies up here at church. You can stop by during the week. We'd be happy to have one for you. They only cost about four bucks. You can get them on Amazon. They'll ship them to you and have them to you in just a couple of days if you'd like to do it that way. But I know a number of you have been using this and working through this with us. And that's really great because there's even more that's in here. So we started off last week by looking at the first of those habits, and that habit was to bless three people. So my question for you is, how'd you do? Did you find some people to bless this last week? And was one, at least one of those people, somebody who doesn't come to our church? Now, I know that's a high mark. You might be thinking, oh my gosh, I, I, I even forgot about it, Pastor Darren, and, and, and I, I wasn't thinking about it all this week. Oh, I failed. Hey, you know what? We all do. But whatever it is that you did do, I want you to think about what it was that you were able to do in blessing another person. Think about what that meant to God. Think about how that expressed the heart of Jesus towards someone, because that's what this is all about. At the end of the day, what matters is that we are expressing the heart of Jesus to the world around us, that they see us in that way, knowing that we are different, not just because we go to a building every Sunday for an hour, but because we are transformed by this Lord who we follow who is alive and is alive in us by his spirit. So we learned a new skill, something that we want to develop into a new habit, and that habit is blessing three people. So if you weren't able to bless three people this last week, look at it this next week. Start praying now about who it might be that God is putting on your heart to bless this next week and find creative ways to do that. So that was the first step that we took was learning to bless three people. And now we have more to learn from Jesus. We want to learn specifically from Jesus some ways in which he saw living a life of mission, the mission that he came to fulfill, the mission of declaring the kingdom of God, being at hand, and then living into that kingdom and ultimately making the ultimate sacrifice so that we could become part of that kingdom through the forgiveness of God offered through Jesus Christ. So we want to learn from Jesus, and I want to invite you to learn with me today. So open up your Bibles to the Gospel according to Luke. Luke chapter 5, we're going to begin looking at verse 27 through 39. And we're going to look at a way in which Jesus finds a way to bless some people around him in a very particular way, and you might find that it is related to something we've already been talking about. So if you've opened up to Luke chapter 5, Follow along as I read, starting at verse 27. 
After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for they say, the old is better. So, eating and drinking. There's a lot of eating and drinking going on in this passage, isn't there? That's what Jesus is using as a method for connecting with people. I think it's fair to say that Jesus brought the kingdom through eating and drinking. Now, I want to be clear The Bible teaches us that the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So it's fair to say that the kingdom isn't about eating and drinking, but eating and drinking can bring about the kingdom. It's clear because that's the way that Jesus operated. Over and over and over again, Jesus used common ways of connecting with people, and often those connections were around food, were around the table, gathering together in fellowship with other people and sharing a meal. Something so common that Jesus used regularly as a method for being able to express the kingdom of God with those around him. So Jesus brought the kingdom through eating and drinking. But there's another way of looking at this. A friend of mine, Len Sweet, said it this way. He said, Jesus made a habit of eating good food with bad people. That was the way of Jesus. Jesus loved to eat good food. As a matter of fact, there were those who looked at Jesus of the Pharisees and others who said, you know what? He's a glutton and a drunkard. That's what they accused Jesus of being. Somebody who spent too much time eating and drinking with people. Now, did Jesus ever get drunk? Was Jesus a glutton? No, of course not. But it was such a change in the way that the Pharisees and others saw the life of following God. They wanted to separate out these normal, everyday, common things and then have on the other side these extra, super, holy things that made you closer to God. So over on this side was the side where you would eat and drink and and do those normal kind of average things that people do. But over here, when it comes to meeting God, well, those are the places where we fast 
and we stay away from food and deny ourselves those things so that we can be closer to God because that's what really brings us closer to God. Jesus flips this on his head. Jesus turns this all around and says, no, it's in the common everyday things that the kingdom of God appears and shows up. And it's in the hospitality that is offered to others that the kingdom manifests itself around people. Yes, Jesus made a habit of eating good food with bad people. So let's talk specifically about some of the ways in which Jesus used eating and drinking to fulfill kingdom purposes. I'm going to call these the five recipes of Jesus. The five recipes of Jesus. Let's get started on them right now. The first one is Jesus ate to build relationships. It's that starting point. Anybody who recognizes the joy of being around a table with others knows the power of eating with others to establish and build relationships. We see this with Levi, who is also called Matthew, Matthew the tax collector. Jesus doesn't really know him that well, although obviously they've seen each other. And Matthew is obviously intrigued with this Jesus, but would never think as somebody doing what he did as a tax collector, one of those outsiders, one of those people doing not only the common things, but the things that were disdained by people in the culture, that he would ever think to approach this rabbi. But Jesus flips that around. Jesus looks and says, I want to be with you tonight, Matthew. I want to come and share time with you. And that's what Jesus does. He comes and meets at Matthew's home, and Matthew throws a banquet. He throws a meal for Jesus and for all of his friends. Now, Matthew was a tax collector, so who do you suppose Matthew had as other friends? Other tax collectors. This is not the kind of meeting that holy people would expect to see Jesus around. But Jesus goes out of his way to establish relationship with these people, these people who would be considered unclean. These were the folks, these were the tax collectors and sinners. These were the people who, who you, you didn't want to be contaminated by if you were a holy person. Jesus doesn't see it that way. Jesus sees relationship potential. He sees possibility for sharing the good news of the kingdom with these people who desperately need it, like all of us do. And when he's confronted about this, why would you eat with those kind of people? Well, Jesus says a dad joke. It's really a dad joke. Oh, you see, it's only the sick who need a doctor, not the healthy people like you. Yeah, it's a pretty sarcastic joke, but that's exactly what Jesus is saying. You think you're all fine, so of course you don't need anybody to come and share the kingdom with you. But these people, these folks, they recognize their need. So Jesus comes and builds relationship with Matthew. He did it with Zacchaeus at another time when he, when he came and, and saw Zacchaeus up in a tree and said, hey, Zacchaeus, guess what? I'm coming to your house tonight. Jesus invited himself over to somebody's house. That's the kind of hospitality that Jesus practiced. Jesus saw someone who he wanted to be with and he said, hey, I'm coming to your place. What's for dinner? So he gets together with Zacchaeus and, and Zacchaeus' life is transformed because Jesus is there with him. Yes, Jesus uses food and eating as a way to build relationships. But the second way that Jesus used food and recognized food was in celebration of important events. 
You know, we hear about Jesus and the very first miracle that Jesus performed. Do you remember what it is? The very first miracle recorded in Scripture of Jesus is when Jesus turned water into wine at a wedding. A wedding celebration. And you can imagine wedding celebrations just like they are today were filled with food and festivity. A banquet was thrown. People enjoyed themselves. There was celebration in good food and good wine. And there was Jesus in the middle of all of it going, this is something worthy of celebrating. He recognized the celebration that was happening and the importance of sharing a meal and sharing a glass of wine with those who were there. So much so that he impressed the, the person who was the master of that whole gathering by making water into wine, a wine that was better than the first wine. That's the kind of way that Jesus saw the importance of food and drink in connecting with people in times of celebration. So that's what Jesus did. He ate to celebrate important events with people. But Jesus also ate to share stories. You hear one story in this passage that we already read. Jesus uses this time to share a parable. Parables were the kind of stories that Jesus loved to share. They were so memorable. Many of them, if I were just to give a name to them, would be something that you would remember. The parable of the lost coin or the parable of the lost sheep or the lost son. All sorts of different parables that Jesus taught. He taught those stories because those stories stuck in people's minds. And he used the opportunity of being around a meal to share those stories Because people tend to open up when you're sharing a meal together. Have you recognized that? Have you seen that? Where maybe the first time that you're connecting with people, you choose to do that over a meal? And it's an opportunity to share life, to begin to tell stories for one another. And there's the comfort of knowing that between us, as we are sharing life together, we are sharing a meal together. It's a powerful symbol. And it's something that is universal. Every culture has a table where they gather to feed one another and to eat together. It might be a a mat on the floor. It might be a low table. It might be a high table. It might be all sorts of different tables, but every culture has one and a place where they gather together, whether it's in celebration or in building relationship or in sharing important stories. And time and time again, Jesus shared important stories, stories that described things about the kingdom of God by using the opportunity around him of sharing a meal. And in this case, the story that he shares is about tearing off a patch and trying to patch a a cloth with, patch an old jacket that's got a tear in it with a new piece of cloth, knowing that that isn't going to work. But then he goes on to talk about what? Wine. He's talking about something that's commonplace again. Oh, you don't pour new wine into old wineskins. Well, everybody would have understood what Jesus was talking about because this was a natural, normal part of their culture. They recognized what it was to take the freshly crushed grapes and the juice and put it into a wineskin, and as it fermented, it would expand that wineskin. And if it wasn't a fresh new wineskin, well, it would tear it apart, and you would lose both the wine and the wineskin itself would be destroyed. Though the old wineskins were for holding the old wine, and the new wine was put into the new wineskins. Jesus not only told stories around food, he told stories that included food in the story. He told stories about the great banquet. Same thing. Many times that Jesus used this idea of food to share stories and to be around food and share those stories of important things in the kingdom. 
So he built relationships around food. He celebrated around food. He shared stories around food. And Jesus ate to heal divisions. He ate to heal divisions. There's a great story at the end of the Gospel of John. It's a story about Peter. Peter, who earlier on in the story denied knowing Jesus three times when he was being arrested and taken away to be beaten and crucified, denied even knowing Jesus. Jesus predicted this, and, and Peter was so humiliated. He, he felt so bad about the fact that he had betrayed his Lord. How could he ever show his face around Jesus again? At the end of the story, while well, Jesus has died, has been resurrected, has come to new life, and they're around the Sea of Galilee. And as they are there, the fishermen that Peter was with his brothers are out fishing and trying to catch a load of fish. And there they see Jesus on the shore. And Peter is so overwhelmed with excitement that he leaps out of the boat, rushes to the shore to see Jesus. And what's the first thing that Jesus says to him? Hey, anybody got any fish? Would you like some breakfast? Jesus wants breakfast. That's the first thing on his mind as he's there with his disciples. Hey, this is the way we do life together. We eat together. So, hey, you've been catching fish. Let's broil some fish and enjoy some breakfast together. And after that meal, Peter has still got that thought in his mind. Boy, I wonder what Jesus is thinking. And as they're finishing up that time of sharing a meal together, and I'm sure swapping stories and just sharing life the way that they always did, Jesus turns to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. He does that three times to restore Peter, to heal that division that had been created, to restore relationship that had been broken. Jesus used a meal to restore relationship in broken relationships. It's an important way that Jesus thought of using a meal. And then finally, Jesus used eating to ascribe worth. He ascribed worth to people by eating with them. Now, as you can imagine, in the culture that Jesus lived in, there were a lot of tiers of people. And by tiers, I mean there were people who were in the top tier who were the elite and the rich and the wealthy and the powerful. And then there were many layers down below that that went down to, to the poor and to those who were without and amongst those who were often left on the sidelines were women. Women, whether they were widows or whether they were just simply considered chattel, which meant that they were just a piece of property. That was the vision that was there related to women in that time. Jesus saw something different. So there's a story of Jesus going to the home of a couple of sisters, Martha and Mary. And we see this story repeated in a couple of different places. Because I get the impression that Jesus really liked Martha's cooking. He showed up at Martha's place a number of times. Martha was a good cook. So Jesus took advantage of this opportunity to be there with Martha and with Mary. And while Martha's preparing the meal that Jesus is certainly looking forward to, he's waiting, and, and there with Jesus is Mary. Now, Mary, as the younger sister, it would have been expected that Mary would be spending her time helping out Martha, preparing this important meal for this important person who was there with them. Now, while Jesus enjoyed a good meal for sure, he recognized something in Mary. He recognized the heart of somebody who wanted to learn, 
the heart of somebody who wanted to be a follower of Jesus, something that was almost exclusively in that culture reserved for men. But Mary decides that instead of being over and helping with the meal, she's going to sit in the presence of Jesus and listen to what Jesus has to say. And Martha gets upset. Shouldn't you be telling my sister to help me? Jesus, you're out here talking to the men. That's the important thing that you're doing, but we've got our important thing to do over here, which is preparing this meal. Be in your place where you belong. But that's not the way Jesus sees it. Jesus looks to Martha and says, Martha, you're worried about a lot of things. But Mary, well, she's chosen the one thing that's the most important right now. And in saying that, Jesus ascribes worth to Mary, speaking to her and into her life to declare that she is valuable. She is important. She is a follower and meant to be a follower of Jesus. These mighty ways and many other ways that Jesus uses food to build relationships, to celebrate important events, to share stories, to heal divisions, and to ascribe worth. Friends, like I said, the kingdom is not about eating and drinking, but eating and drinking can bring about the kingdom. So how does that apply to you and me? I think we can learn something from the recipes of Jesus and find our ways to be able to do similar things. We can eat to build relationships. Building relationships can be with people who you know, but it can also be that starting place with people who you don't know. A person who might be a stranger or somebody who you haven't connected with in a long time. Reaching out to them and saying, hey, you know what, let's go grab a coffee. Or let's go sit in an outdoor cafe and, and I'll buy you lunch. Or hey, let's, let's go pick up a couple of sack lunches and I'll meet you out in a park and we'll find a picnic table. That's just building relationships and using food as a way to do that. What about celebrating important events? Well, we all know that there are ways to celebrate important events, but what are the important events that happen in our life that are ways in which you can celebrate that has something to do with food? Well, I celebrated a 50th birthday at the end of last year. My wife celebrated a 50th birthday just a few months later. Yes, I just told you how old my wife is, and I'm probably in trouble now. <laughs> but here's the thing. We had great celebrations that were thrown for us, surprise celebrations. People came, and they celebrated this passage of life with us, and guess what? There was food. There was food, because food is part of what makes a celebration a celebration, so finding those ways, even in the middle of this COVID time, to be able to celebrate with someone, to be able to bring a gift to somebody. You know, some members of our congregation did that just this past week. Members of our staff went over and visited Mark Christensen. Mark Christians. Mark Christensen. I've got to get the right name right. Mark Christensen, who has been holed up in his care facility like so many others have, cut off from relationship and connection with people around him. But they came over to wish Mark a happy 74th birthday. And what a great celebration. What a great way to be able to bless Mark. They went over to his place, and what did they bring? Well, they brought themselves, of course, but they brought along some cupcakes. Not just for Mark. I'm sure Mark would have enjoyed eating all of them himself. But they were to be shared with all of those folks who were there with him, other people who were in the care facility with Mark. They brought enough for everybody to share. 
That sends a message. To celebrate something that way and to be able to be generous in the way you celebrate and sharing it with others that way. That's using celebration. What about eating to share stories? Well, there's all kinds of stories you can swap when you're eating, right? Stories about life. You get to know people. You hear things about them. Stories that get passed on even from generation to generation. Many times the dinner table is a place where stories are shared. Family stories And maybe you've heard them over and over again, but that's a part of what builds a family together is the sharing of those stories, those stories that interconnect with one another and very often are the same stories that we use to share about how we interconnect our lives with God, the way that Jesus has moved in our lives, the way that Jesus has revealed himself to us and shaped us. Those are stories that we are meant to share with others, and there's no better place to share that than around some food. What about eating to heal divisions? I don't think we've lived in a time in many of our lifetimes when we've seen as much division as we do right now. Division in our culture, division over politics, division over race, division over men and women and roles, division over all sorts of different topics. We every day come up with another reason to be divided. The kingdom is about something else. We can use food and the opportunity to eat with someone as a way to heal divisions. But you have to be intentional about this one. You have to find someone who maybe isn't the person that you would be the most likely to go and ask to lunch. Maybe it's somebody who differs from you in some key ways, thinks about things differently than you. Hey, if you consider yourself a a diehard Republican, go find yourself a Democrat and have lunch. If you're a a, a diehard Democrat, go find yourself a Republican and go have lunch and just meet together and talk with one another. And if you don't consider yourself either one of those things, give me a call because I don't like to eat alone. (laughs) So just consider looking at ways to be able to stretch out across the boundary lines and meet with someone. This is somebody who might be a part of the church. It might be somebody who is an outlier, an outsider who is looking at you going, you know what, I think the church only stands for these kind of people. You can be the bridge builder that steps across that line and meets with someone. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, wait a second, Pastor, if if my friends or others see me eating with somebody like that, what are they going to think? Well, I don't know. Take it up with Jesus. Because that's what they said about Jesus too. And if I have a choice of being on the side of those who accuse Jesus and mocked him for who he was with versus being with Jesus and the people he chose to be with, I'll take Jesus every time. And so should you. So look for a way to heal some divides by getting together and sharing a meal. And then finally, find a way to ascribe worth to someone. This could be somebody in your family. It could be somebody in your community who you know is feeling low, who you know is feeling cut off and separated. You have an opportunity to come alongside them and ascribe incredible value and worth to them by spending some time with them. Human connection and human communication are so important, and in this season we're realizing just how valuable they are and how much people are longing for those types of connections. 
Use these ways to be able to connect with others, to share the kingdom of God, to be a truth teller, to be a reconciler, to be a peacemaker, to be one of those people who falls in the line of Jesus out eating with others. Let the world say of you what they say, but be among those who see the world around us as an opportunity to share the love and goodness of God. So you have a challenge this week, and your challenge this week is like last week, to share a meal with three people. Now, you can cheat and and share one meal with three other people, or better yet, you can find three separate people, one who, at least one who is not a member of your church, and ask them out for lunch, or ask them out for coffee, or go meet them over at Grandma's Bakery and share a donut with them. Whatever it might be, it doesn't have to be anything complicated. Something simple. You can do it while being socially distanced, friends. But let this be a way of connecting and showing and sharing the hospitality of Jesus that God shows to each and every one of us. Let that be your challenge today as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. That's the recipe, friends. Let's eat and let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for teaching us how it is that we are to love one another in light of the way that we are loved by you. And Lord, there is no more profound way that you spoke your love to us than through your son Jesus when he gathered together his disciples around a table and shared with them a holy meal and told them to remember him every time they shared it. Father, could there be any more direct declaration and command from Jesus than to remember him through food, to remember him as we gather together in fellowship around a common meal and a common space. Lord, thank you for setting that example. Thank you for taking the common everyday things of our lives and using them to transform the lives of people around us as well as our own. Lord, it doesn't take a a biblical scholar or a Bible degree or, or the title of pastor or anything else to share a meal with someone, to share some stories, to ascribe worth, to bring healing to celebrate and to build relationships. Lord, you can do this, and you can do it through us. Lord, help us to break down the walls and the places where we make excuses for how easy it is to just eat by ourselves or to eat with only those who think and talk and act like we do. Lord, use us to be ministers of reconciliation in so many ways over a meal shared We bless you and we thank you in all these things, Jesus. We pray, amen.